When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast. A podcast devoted to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you once again for listening. This will be another shorter episode. We won't be previewing the game against Juventus. We released a special bonus episode on Friday, taking a deep dive into that game with my good friends Mauro Russo and Michael Bonadiman, so be sure to check that one out. We'll do only two parts on this episode. In part one, we'll recap our loss to Atalanta and therefore elimination from the Coppa Italia on Wednesday. And in part two, we'll recap the action from Napoli Femenile's Match Day 13 game and Napoli Primavera's game from Match Day 8. So let's start with the game on Wednesday. Here's how it went. We are underway at the GWIS, and it is the Nerazzurri going from right to left. Muriel switches over. This is Darun under control. Zapata drops off and turns. We'll usually see him shoot from distance. He does! And he scores a wonderful opening goal and sets Atalanta on their way. Crossing from Schutelo. We've seen do a great deal of crossing. Gorsens this time is into the battle. What a pass! Pessina! And they're running away with this. Atalanta. Terun. Well, the half-time whistle goes here. Atalanta in pole position. And uh, rediscovered the rhythm. Atalanta. Posing performance. Bakayoko into the area. Bakayoko! Deflected, Lozano must score! And Napoli are back in the match. Gorzens, no Fruida. Comes back into Pessina, Ilicic. It's the ball back under control into Zapata, lays off. Pessina again, he's going to walk it through. And there is the third goal. They are marching to the Coppa Italia final. Gattuso last year presided over the win against Juventus. Not this time out. Atalanta knockout holders. Napoli go on to face Juventus in the Coppa Italia final. It finishes Atalanta 3, Napoli 1. As you heard, Napoli lost 3-1. Duvan Zapata and Matteo Pessina scored for Atalanta and Chucky Lozano scored the long goal for Napoli. Unfortunately, this game went exactly as I thought it would. Atalanta jumped out to a 2-0 lead heading into the break. At the half, Gattuso switched from the 4-3-3 to the 4-2-3-1 and Napoli managed to pull one back. Then with Napoli pushing for the equalizer, Atalanta got their third 
to put the game away. Now that's a crude oversimplification. The game was far more complex than that. This was always going to be a tough proposition for us, playing with a makeshift backline. We certainly expected to be better in the attack with Victor Osiman returning to the starting 11, but really the attack didn't fail because of the attacking players it filled because of the midfield. We saw interesting tactics from both managers, both approached this match differently than how they approached the first leg, and of course after the match, just like after every poor result, all the talk after the match was about whether this would be the game that Gattuso loses his job. We'll talk about all of that in this review, and we'll revisit our three keys to the match, but first let's take a look at the starting lineups. Atalanta had two changes compared to our predicted 11 and compared to the 11 that started in the first leg. Gasparini stayed with the 3-4-1-2 with Pierluigi Golini in goal. At the back, Jose Palomino started over the suspended Christian Romero with Brad Gimsitti to his left and Rafael Toloi to his right. With Joachim Meili still hurt, Bosco Sutolo started at the right wing back position. The rest of the midfield was as expected with Robin Gosens on the left side and Remo Freuler and Martin Darun in the middle. Gasparini went back to the same front three from the first leg with Matteo Piscina playing behind Luis Muriel and Duban Zapata. We had Josip Ilicic starting but Gasparini started him on the bench most likely because he was on a yellow card and Gasparini didn't want to risk losing him for the final. Napoli had two changes compared to our predicted 11 and numerous changes to the team that we fielded in the first leg. That was largely because we used a 3-4-3 in the first leg, but also because of injuries and COVID. With Kalidou Koulibaly positive for COVID and Kostas Manolas injured, Nikola Maksimovic and Amir Rachmani started at centre-back, Elsie Kusai and Giovanni Di Lorenzo started at full-back. Timoy Bakayoko started as the regista in the 4-3-3, with Piotr Zielinski and Eli Felmas, we were expecting Diego Demme to get the start there. No surprises on the wings with Lorenzo Insigne on the left and Chucky Lozano on the right, but we did get a surprise at striker with Victor Osman starting his first game since November, pushing Andrea Petania to the bench. So those were the starting lineups, next let's take a look at our three keys to the match. The first key to the match was that we needed to support our center backs with Koulibaly and Manolas both out. It was pretty clear from the three goals that we conceded that we did not accomplish this. The first goal we conceded was probably the most obvious example of that. This goal started with Martin Darun playing the ball to Zapata at the top of the box. With no one around him, he fired an absolute rocket past David Ospina. Now, you have to give Zapata credit for the shots, but even for a player like him who scores the vast majority of his goals in the area, you should never be giving a player that much space to shoot, especially when you look at how many players were marking no one on that play. For me, two players in particular were culpable here, LCT Sai and Tiamoy Bakayoko. Zielinski and Maksimovic were there as well, but Zielinski stepped up on Darun, and Maksimovic needs to hold his ground at the top of the box because if Piscina drifts over, he would become Maksimovic's man. Bakayoko, who was supposed to be sitting in front of the center backs exactly for this type of play, got caught watching the play. Likewise, with Insigne picking up the run on the wing, Hisai was marking no one, and it's not like he can say he was watching the wing because he was nowhere near it. So one of Hisai and Bakayoko should have stepped up on the play. A number of players were at fault on the second goal as well. First, Emir Rachmani did a terrible job clearing the ball, which landed for Robin Gosens. We had seven Napoli players in and around the top of the box to mark only three Atalanta players, and somehow two of them 
got touches on the ball. If you look at the freeze frame, which I generally don't like to do, you see that all seven players were looking at Gozins. Elmas set up to block the shot, so I don't have an issue with that. Di Lorenzo was marking Luis Muriel, but pretty much everyone else was just watching the play. Bakayoko and Zielinski were marking no one. Maximovic and Hisai let Zapata get in front of them. Had they pushed up, Zapata would probably have been offside. And Rachmani saw the run of Piscina, but didn't follow it. Finally, on the third goal, the marking from our backline was actually pretty good. Mario Rui was watching for the run of Sutolo on the wing. Rachmani was playing Zapata tight and Di Lorenzo had Caldara on the other side of the box. On this goal, it was Diego Deme who had replaced Bakayoko that failed to pick up the run of Piscina at the top of the box. And of course, he scored the goal. So our midfielders and fullbacks definitely did not provide the necessary support for our center backs. Our second key to the match was that we cannot concede a goal in the first half, and if we did, we needed to limit the damage to just one goal. I don't need to spend too much time on this one, we conceded two goals in the first half, in fact it only took 16 minutes to concede the two goals, so that one was clearly a fail. The final key to the match was that we couldn't play out from the back, particularly when Atalanta press high. Now, I'm going to say that we achieved this one even though we did actually still play out of the back. The reason we had this as a key to the match was because in the first leg, Atalanta pressed very high and we were often forced to clear the ball straight back to the opposition. However, much to my surprise, Atalanta did not press high at all in this leg. They were quite content to drop and let us pass the ball around at the back. Personally, I think that Atalanta would have been better off with the high press. I thought we created more in the second leg than we did in the first leg. Now, that may have been because Osiman was starting and Atalanta remembered the damage that he did to them earlier in the season, so they wisely didn't give us much space to play in. One of the benefits of dropping, though, was that it really crowded the midfield, where we were clearly outplayed. We struggled to link up play between the back and the front. We often resorted to playing the ball out wide and running ourselves into corners, so in that sense, this approach from Gasparini was still rather effective. So we only achieved one of our three keys to the match, so it's not a huge shock that we lost this match. Naturally, after the match, the pitchforks came out again, as I suspect they will after every poor result that we have. And once again, I think the treatment is a little unfair. I actually pulled up the betting odds for both legs. In the first leg, Napoli were plus 185, the draw was plus 250, and Atalanta were plus 145, so Napoli were the underdogs. And in the second leg, Napoli were plus 285, the draw was plus 260, and Atalanta were minus 105, so we were actually the underdogs in both legs. Of course, underdogs win games pretty regularly in football, but given the missing personnel, particularly at center back, the second leg was always going to be difficult. Both of these teams have been inconsistent this season, but let's not pretend like this was a match we easily should have won. Even though we had a terrible first half, we responded really well, and had Osiman scored that open chance in the second half, we would have actually been in a position to advance. And of course, immediately after we missed that chance, Atalanta came back the other way and scored their third. So to me, this match was much closer than the final scoreline might suggest. I think both managers made interesting tactical moves. At the half, Gattuso removed Elmas and brought in Politano. He also switched to a 4-2-3-1 with Zielinski dropping into the double pivot 
Lozano playing on the left, Insigne moving into the 10 spot, and Politano playing on the right, and it actually worked. We looked far better in the first 15 to 20 minutes of the second half, but you also have to give Gasperini credit. He responded immediately after the Lozano goal. He brought in Josip Ilicic, and immediately the momentum swung back in Atalanta's favor. Now, one thing I don't understand is when I see people say things like, I don't want to hear about injuries and COVID. This is unacceptable. When I read that or when I see those comments, what I'm seeing is I don't want to hear the legitimate reasons why we're struggling. This is unacceptable. We act like we can't use COVID or injuries or the compressed schedule as the reason for the loss because we've already used that reason for previous results, but that's not how this works. Now, whenever you say this, we're reminded what Milan has done and they've also had COVID and injuries And they have, there's no denying that, but Milan are the exception, not the norm. Every other team has dropped points. The only team to play as consistently as Milan this season is Inter, and they've had nowhere near as many injuries and COVID cases as we have, particularly to their key players. I'd also love to know how many teams have lost their top two strikers at the same time for an extended period of time. How would Inter look if they lost Lukaku and Lautaro? How would Juve look if they lost Ronaldo and Morata? Again, putting Milan aside because they are the exception, without all of these injuries and COVID cases, we could well be sitting in second place and no one would be calling for Reno's head. The other thing I always hear people say is our depth players should be beating teams like Torino, Spezia, and Genoa. Yes, they should when they're playing only now and then, but because of all the injuries and COVID cases, We're playing our depth players every three days. It's hard enough playing your regular starters every three days, let alone your backups. The one thing I didn't like though was Gattuso's comments after the match, specifically that other teams would have conceded four or five goals. I know he's probably trying to defend his players, but that just sounds to me like someone who does not have a winning mentality. Just like it doesn't matter how you win, it's still worth three points. It also doesn't matter how you lose, whether you lose 1-0 or 10-0, it is still a loss. The last thing I want to talk about is the incident between Elsid Hisai and Amir Rachmani. In case you missed it, Hisai was removed in the 42nd minute and as he was walking off the pitch, Rachmani went to shake his hand and Hisai completely snubbed him. And it wasn't as if he didn't see because Rachmani left his hand out there for a while Now, had Kisai been removed for tactical reasons, I could see him being upset about being pulled early and taking out his frustration on his teammate there, but we later learned that Kisai had picked up a calf injury, which is the reason why he was removed. There's been some speculation as to whether this has anything to do with the fact that Rachmani is Kosovar and Kisai is Albanian, but as far as I can tell, relations between the two countries are pretty good. If anything, you would think Rachmani and Kisai would take issue with Nikola Maksimovic because he's Serbian and relations between their countries and Serbia are not very good. Now, earlier in the week, Hisai's agent Mario Giuffredi confirmed that Hisai will not be renewing his contract at the end of the season, meaning he will walk for free. So if it were up to me, after seeing an incident like this, I'd be benching Hisai for the rest of the season. There's absolutely no need for that kind of garbage, especially with the state the club is in right now. Unfortunately, that probably won't be possible, at least not until Fauzi Gulam recovers from COVID. 
Even then, since we sold Kevin Malqui, we don't really have a backup right back for Giovanni Di Lorenzo. So even though Di Lorenzo plays most games, we'll still need Hisai to back him up every now and then. At the end of the day though, I'll be happy to see him pack his bags at the end of the season. That will do for part 1. In part 2, we'll check in on Napoli Femminile and Primavera. We'll start part 2 with Napoli Femminile's round 13 match on February 6th against Fiorentina. The full game is available on YouTube for anyone that wants to check it out. Fiorentina were playing on short rest after playing the first leg of their Coppa Italia quarterfinal against Inter the week before which they lost 4-0. They also have to balance playing this match in between the first leg and the second leg of the Coppa Italia with the second leg scheduled a week after this match. This game was being played in the pouring rain in Firenze, which made for dreadful playing conditions, particularly in the first half. And Fiorentina owner Rocco Comiso was in attendance to take in this match. For those who don't know, Napoli's women team has no affiliation with the men's team, which is another big issue we have with our club. All the big clubs, Juve, Milan and Roma in particular, are affiliated with their women's teams but we are not. De Laurentiis does not seem interested, probably because he knows there's not much money to be made on the women's game, at least not right now. The owner of Napoli Femminile is a man named Raffaele Carlino. Alright, before we get to the game itself, let's take a look at Napoli's starting 11. Alessandro Pistolesi didn't make any changes to the squad that he fielded against Pink Bari. He lined up in the 4-3-3 with Catalina Perez in goal. Alexandra Hune and Goni Arnatodir lined up at centre-back. Martina Fuzzini played at left back and Elisabetta Oliveira played at right back. Pistolesi switched Sarah Huche and Emma Erico for this match, so Huche played on the left side of the midfield and Erico played in the middle. Leonora Goldini played on the right side. Up top, Pia Riesdijk started at striker with Jenny Hillman to her left and Evi Popadinova to her right. Finally, Izota Noki was not available for this match after picking up a red card against Pink Body. So that was our starting 11, next let's take a look at the match. Fiorentina set the tone early on, they had plenty of the ball and they were clearly the more positive side. They pressed us when we had the ball and as a result we were quick to give it right back. We really struggled to string together a few passes, however I thought we defended really well, we were playing with a lot of grit, we were making slide tackles all over the field, and early on it looked like we might just frustrate Fiorentina, they started to force play a little bit and were conceding possession back to us. The first major event happened in the 15th minute, Fiorentina centre back Alice Tortelli made an absolutely brutal slide tackle on Popadinova, somehow Tortelli was only shown a yellow card, she was nowhere near the ball and went straight through the legs of Popadinova, so I thought that should have been a straight red. To make matters worse, Popadinova landed awkwardly on her shoulder and was visibly in a lot of pain. She tried to play through the pain, but after 5 minutes she had to be removed from the match. The club hasn't disclosed the extent of the injury, 
but just like our men, our best goal scorer picked up a shoulder injury. Neither side created much in the first half hour of the match. Fiorentina had a shot from distance that was straight at Perez, but Fiorentina's second shot on target found the back of the goal. The goal was scored from a set piece after Fuzzini fouled Margarita Monetti on the right wing. Sarabaldi played an in-swinging cross toward the back post. Somehow, Daniela Sabatino was left completely unmarked. I'm not sure who Fuzzini was marking, but it wasn't Sabatino. We also did not have anyone on the post for some reason. That was Sabatino's 11th of the season, which is second only to Juventus's Cristiano Girelli, who has 15. Napoli came close to equalizing in the 35th minute. Pierre Riesdijk did well to dribble past the Fiorentina defender before firing a shot on target from the top of the box, but she caught a little too much of the goal and it was stopped. Then we had our best chance in the 41st minute. Eriko played a lovely switch with the outside of her right boot to a wide open Federica Caferata. Caferata had replaced Popadinova when she got hurt. She was 1v1 with Fiorentina keeper Katja Schroffenegger, but she didn't get a great shot off and Schroffenegger made the save. Caferata really should have done better, but by that point the pitch was an absolute mess because of the rain. It was practically unplayable, there were standing puddles all over the place, and neither side could make a pass because the water would stop the ball in its tracks. Fortunately, the rain subsided at the break and some of the standing water drained, so the pitch was a bit better for the second half. That actually turned out to be bad news for Napoli though. In the 55th minute, Alexandra Hune played a back pass for Perez, but the keeper had come off her line and the ball ended up in the back of the goal. Had it still been raining, there's no way the ball reaches the goal there. It stopped just after crossing the line. But that play was really on Hune. As a defender, you're taught to play passes back to the keeper slightly away from the goal. That way, if there's a mix-up like on this play, or if the keeper whiffs on the ball, it will roll harmlessly wide of the goal rather than straight into it. At the hour mark, Pistolesi made a triple substitution to try to get back into the match. He wisely removed Hune, who you could see was very frustrated on the pitch. It looked like Baldi got under her skin and took her off her game, and I'm sure she was mad at herself for the own goal as well, but it just seemed like she was heading for a red card, so that was a wise bit of coaching from Pistolesi. Moments later, Napoli came close to pulling one back after one of the other substitutes, Kubasova won a free kick on the edge of the area. Fusini and Houchet stood over the ball, but Fusini took the left-footed shot. It was directed toward the center of the goal, but it was bending and dipping below the bar, and what looked like an easy save ended up testing Schofenager, but she managed to tip the shot over the bar. Neither side created much after that. Napoli pressed forward, but Fiorentina defended well in the final third and did not allow Napoli any clear-cut opportunities, so Napoli suffered another defeat. The two teams immediately ahead of us in the table, San Marino and Hellas Verona, both lost, so they didn't pull away from us, but it also means we missed another opportunity to close the gap. After the match, Pistolesi said, We are tired of the compliments, we need to score points. He added, It wasn't easy to come here and score points, yet we deserved more. I look at the ranking and I think that unfortunately another day has passed, but we are by no means inferior to San Marino and Verona, against which we still have to play direct clashes. So that was our women's team. Next, let's take a look at the Primavera team. The Primavera took on Virtus Entella in the 8th round of the season. We were heading into this match in good form with wins over Cosenza and Crotone. Emanuele Cascione made two changes to the squad that he fielded against Crotone lined up in his usual 3-4-3 formation. Hubert Dasiak started again in goal. 
Davide Costanzo returns from the senior team to start in the center of the back line. Nello Donofrio started on the left side of the back three, and Jonathan Spedalieri came in to start over Oscar Guarino on the right side. Brando Sammi started again in the center of the midfield, but this time he was paired with Ricardo Cataldi instead of Raffaele Virgilio. The wingbacks were unchanged. Flavio Romano started on the left wing, and Benedetto Barba started on the right wing. The front trident was unchanged as well, with Gennaro Iaccarino and Giuseppe D'Agostino playing in behind Giuseppe Ambrosino. Now, this was a pretty entertaining match. Both sides had plenty of chances, and Tella had the opening chance of the half. Gennaro De Simone played Alexandru Mogos through on the right side. He fought off the challenge of Romano before firing a shot on target from the top of the box, but Mogos' shot was straight at the center of the goal, and Idasiak tipped it over the bar. Napoli responded well, focusing our attack on the left side of the pitch, and in the 12th minute, we opened the scoring. Sammy played a gorgeous in-swinging cross from the left corner of the box. Cataldi did well to fend off Intella defender Gabriele Bassani before guiding his header perfectly into the far corner. Intella had an excellent chance to equalize after De Simone made a brilliant run around Cataldi on the left wing. De Simone had a man open in front of the goal, but his cross was behind him and nothing came of it. Intella right back Alberto Bruno did well to dribble around Donofrio before Donofrio fouled Bruno in the area. De Simone stepped up to take the penalty, but Idasia guessed correctly and made the save. Shortly after the missed penalty, we had an excellent chance to double our lead after a long throw into the area. Entella failed to clear and D'Agostino fired a low hard shot on target. Entella keeper Pietro Balducci made the save, but the rebound fell for Romano on the doorstep. Staring at a wide open goal, Romano somehow hit the bar, so Napoli's lead remained 1-0. We had another excellent chance early in the second half from a corner kick. D'Agostino played a deep corner to the back post where Costanzo was there to head on target, but Balducci was well positioned to make the save. Balducci was in fine form, making the saves that he was expected to make and often coming off his line to smother long balls into the area. Napoli had yet another excellent scoring opportunity later in the half. We were 3v2 after Vincenzo Potenza broke on the counterattack on the left side of the pitch. He played the ball to Vincenzo Furino at the top of the box. His shot beat the challenging Balducci but just missed wide at the top corner. Unfortunately, Idasiak did not have a good end to the match. Entella came close after playing a long ball into the area. Idasiak misread the power on the ball. He came off his line for the ball, but it didn't quite reach the top of the box. Idasiak should have went for the clearance, but hesitated just long enough for Alejandro Mazzotta to dribble around him, but like Romano did in the first half, somehow Mazzotta missed the empty target. In the end, though, Napoli paid for squandering so many glorious chances. In the 91st minute, Pietro Antonioni put his volley past Idasiak to make the score 1-1. He didn't get much power on the shot, but it was perfectly placed off the post and passed an outstretched Idasiak. So that's how this one finished. We came within minutes of our third consecutive victory, but we are still undefeated in our last four matches. Spezia beat Cosenza, so Spezia moved ahead of us and Cosenza dropped below us, so we remained in seventh place. So that will do for part two. That will also do it for this short episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with your friends and give us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of us, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Pod. We'll also be recording a new episode of Forza Napoli Worldwide after the Juventus match, so keep an eye out for that one. But until then... 
I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre! Network.